Hi, it's Dom here, pastor at Assemble Church, and this is our podcast. We hope you find what you're looking for today and that you are challenged, inspired, and equipped to live out the life that God has for you. Enjoy the message today. Cool. So we are continuing this morning with our series in the Gospel of John. We have been through 12 chapters so far, and today we are on chapter 13. And um, we're really starting to slow down in this part of the Gospel of John now. In fact, the next five and a half chapters of this Gospel cover just a few hours of uh, events that happen. Um, And so this morning we're looking at chapter 13, as I say, and um, I was a little bit... I'm going to say apprehensive. I don't know if that's the right word, but this piece of scripture has been preached on so many times. And you'll see when we read through it, it'll be one that potentially you recognize. Maybe if you've been around church a while, you might have heard two, three, four, five, maybe even more sermons on this piece of scripture. And um, that made me a little bit nervous because I was thinking, oh goodness, you know, I like to bring something that is fresh. I like to bring something that is an exciting perspective on God's word. I like to bring something maybe we hadn't thought of. And it's hard to do that when you're looking at a piece of scripture that's been preached on so very many times. Um, But, you know, I felt God comfort me this week and he said that just because it's an old revelation doesn't mean it can't be a fresh revelation. We can get fresh revelations from things that we already knew about. And so that's what I'm praying for this morning, that each one of us, even if we've heard a sermon on this piece of scripture lots of times, uh, that the Holy Spirit will refresh our understanding and our perspective and our priorities this morning. So I'm going to pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that even if we've read a piece of scripture tens of times, that you always speak to us through it. Lord, I pray that this morning, even if if I don't bring any new revelations, Lord, I pray that through you there will be fresh revelations. I pray that each one of us will know more of who you are this morning, what that means for us in our day-to-day lives. Amen. Amen. So the piece of scripture, as I mentioned, we're looking at John chapter 13, uh, and I'm going to read through from um, verse 1 to verse 17. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, it will be up on the screens. Also, if you don't have a Bible, I think there are some at the back if you want to pick one up. Are they at the back? Maybe. There are some around somewhere if you want to pick one up, but it will be on the screens. Uh, And we're going to look this morning at Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. So from verse 13, uh, sorry, from verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he'd come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realise now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said that not everyone was clean. When he'd finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. 
I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. You know, everything that Jesus does in this passage, everything that we read of, every action is motivated by love. It's motivated by his love for the disciples and it's motivated by his love for us as well. And we read just in those first few verses, it said that Jesus loved those that were with him. These men that he'd been teaching and living with and traveling with for three years, he loved them to the end. He loved them to the end of his, of his days and into eternity, but he loved them to the end of himself, to the fullest extent that he could love them. And so we're going to look this morning at how love weaves its way through this passage. And we're going to start with love exemplified. So in the first five verses of this chapter, we see an example of love. We see Jesus displaying his love to the disciples through the washing of their feet. Um, and that might not seem like that big a deal, I guess, but but it was, and we'll give some context, I guess, to that as we, as we go through this morning. And it's kind of weird for us now to think about that, isn't it? If you went to someone's house or you went out for dinner and someone started washing your feet, I think I'd feel a little bit uncomfortable with that. It's just not something that normally happens, is it, when you go to someone's house? Um, but uh, in the ancient Near East, when this account is happening, that was a very normal practice. I want you to imagine, well, back just over 2,000 years ago, just under 2,000 years ago, actually. Um, and people were walking around with, with sandals and it is hot and dry. And that's going to lead to sweaty feet that get a bit sticky and like dusty ground. That's like prime paste-making combination, isn't it? Like, just imagine the feet situation, not pleasant. Add to that, you've got animals walking through the streets. They're doing what they do and making a mess. And people are walking through that. And so... The feet situation, not ideal. And so if you're going for a meal, I guess you think, oh, that's not a great thing to have in and around the food, is it really? But, you know, maybe you think, well, actually, you know, you sat at a table, like that. Uh, you sat at a table, your feet are under the table, aren't they? They're kind of away from the food, they're shielded, everything's fine. Um, I just, um, could you bring up the uh, painting for me, please, Naomi? So this painting, we may recognise it. This is actually an enhanced version because on the screen it might be difficult to see. But this is uh, Leonardo da Vinci's The Last Supper. There are many reasons. I mean, this is a masterpiece. Let me just start there. This is a masterpiece. However, there are many ways in which this is not accurate. Um, not least of which they're all sat on the same side of the table, which is unusual. <laughs> um, but they're sat at a table in this painting. But that's not actually how the disciples would have been sat to have this meal. More likely, they'd have been sat around a much lower table, kind of knee-height table on cushions and low couches, and they'd have been sat or laid on the ground around this table. And that kind of brings the feet more up to food and face level, doesn't it? And so you can see why washing your feet might be something that is required or wanted in that kind of situation. And so having uh, your feet washed around a meal was not an unusual thing. Jesus taking on the responsibility for washing the feet is where we see the unusual nature of the situation. It's not the what of the situation per se that's strange, it's the who of the situation. Because who would normally wash people's feet at a meal? So I guess, um, so a wife might wash their husband's feet, children may wash their father's feet, uh, disciples may wash their masters, their rabbi's feet, but... Um, but certainly, in those cases, it was an act of extreme devotion 
to do that. Um, of a wife's devotion to the husband, father to their children, disciples to their rabbi. It was an act of extreme devotion. In other cases, if those people kind of weren't around, then um, a servant might be asked to wash the feet of the people at a meal. But certainly not anyone participating in the meal would be expected to wash feet. And definitely not the person presiding over the meal. They'd not be expected to wash any feet in these situations. And so here we have Jesus. He is presiding over this meal. He is the rabbi and the Lord and master, as we've read in this piece of scripture, of the disciples that were there. And let's not forget that he is also God incarnate. He, of all people, should not be doing any foot washing. But he does. He gets up, he wraps a towel around his waist, and he begins to wash the feet of the disciples. And in this act, he shows his love and his care and his devotion to the disciples, and also, by extension, to us as well. You know, just in this act, not even in what this act represents that we'll go on to talk about, or what it means for us, and we'll talk about that as well, but just that the God of all creation would show this act, would show this level of love and devotion and care, just reminds each one of us of how loved we each are by God. You know, this whole thing that's happening is amazing, we can learn there's so much depth in what is happening. But I was, um, I was thinking this week, I was really moved by the fact that Jesus washed the feet of Judas. Jesus washed the feet of Judas. And he knew at that point that Judas was going to betray him. He already knew, but he washed the feet of Judas. I read in Matthew chapter 4, sorry, chapter 5, verse 44, Jesus is teaching and he says to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And in this act that Jesus does, we see that put into practice. We see um, Jesus loving his enemies. We see him show love and devotion to someone who is about to betray him. In the next, under an hour probably, next couple of hours at max, he's going to betray Jesus. Jesus is showing us here what, is, what it is to love our enemy. You know, that he would humble himself to wash the feet of the disciples is one thing that is mind-blowing enough, but that he would humble himself to wash the feet of a man who is going to betray him to the authorities and ultimately lead to his death is another level. It's another level. And so that brings us to love explained from verse 6. In verse 6, we see some classic Peter, absolutely classic Peter. I love reading about Peter. I just think, you know, we read things that Peter says, don't we? We think, oh, silly Peter, poor Peter. And I always feel bad for him because I feel like he's just saying what everyone's thinking and he just gets a bad rap for it. Poor Peter. <laughs> but Peter says in verse six, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And we might think, of course he is, Peter. Like, can you not see the scene that's playing out around you? Silly Peter. But Jesus is seeing the practical nature of what's happening around him. And he's thinking, this is so inappropriate. This is, not, this is not what I'm used to. This is not okay. My rabbi, this man that I love and that I admire, that I look up to, that I see as the Messiah, that I, I'm like, he's going to wash my feet. I don't think so. No, I won't allow it. I won't allow it. Jesus is, uh, sorry, Peter is not allowing Jesus to show this love and devotion to Peter. He's not allowing him to uh, humble himself in the way that Jesus is wanting to demonstrate. You know, Jesus then explains, he says, if you, where am I? It's in red, so I should be able to find it quickly, shouldn't I? Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. 
And this is where we get to the deeper stuff of what Jesus is doing. We get beyond the practical. Usually when Jesus is doing something, anything, there is a spiritual aspect to it. There's something deeper that he wants to teach through the practical things that he does. And this act is no different. There's a deeper principle that Jesus is wanting to explain. And he says, if you, um, if you don't let me wash your feet, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Jesus is humbling himself. He's demonstrating immense love and devotion so that his followers can be clean. Does that sound familiar to us at all? That Jesus is humbling himself. He's demonstrating immense love and devotion so that his followers can be clean. In Philippians chapter 2, we read this. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And we know that this is coming in a few hours' time. Well, a, more than a few hours, but it's coming soon that Jesus is going to die on the cross. And we read here in Philippians that this is the ultimate act of humility for Jesus, to become obedient to death, even death on a cross. A death that was so public, that was so humiliating, a criminal's death on a cross raised up into the earth that everyone could see, with everyone watching. You know, Jesus humbles himself in washing the feet of the disciples. He shows them immense love and devotion so that they can be clean. But Jesus humbled himself in choosing to die on the cross. He showed each one of us immense love and devotion in becoming a sacrifice for our sins that we'd never, sacrifice we'd never be able to make for ourselves so that each one of us can be clean. You know, we read this act in John 13 and we're, we're shocked and we're moved by what Jesus would do for his disciples. But how much more shocked and moved should we be that Jesus would choose to become obedient to death, even death on a cross, for each one of us? And so back to this bit of scripture, Jesus says to Peter, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Each one of us needs to be cleansed by Jesus. Each one of us needs to be made right with God through the sacrifice that Jesus makes for us. And we read here Jesus saying, if you want to be part of the body of Christ, if you want to be part of this thing that I'm doing, if you want to be saved by Jesus, if each one of us wants that, we have to let Jesus wash us. We have to let Jesus show us his love and his devotion, which can be hard sometimes for us to accept. For us to accept that the God of all creation, that the, the God of everything would love and devote himself to us is difficult. But it is the greatest gift to accept that and to accept the washing and the cleansing that comes with it. And, you know, as soon as Peter realises that what Jesus is doing has anything to do with being a part of something with Jesus, of belonging to Jesus, he gets excited. He gets excited. And we read in verse 9, Then Lord Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. My hands and my head as well. You know, there are two reactions to Peter's response here. Uh, some people, a, a response, is that um, 
we see here quite quickly a discrepancy between a Peter who won't allow um, Jesus to humble himself because he sees the, um, the inappropriateness of that and he sees how far above himself Jesus is and won't allow it to someone who very quickly then turns to a person who's dictating the terms of what Jesus is doing for him. Like, oh, okay, then, okay, then Jesus, but you can now wash my feet and my hands and my head, please. And maybe we relate to that. Maybe we sometimes dictate the terms of our relationship with Jesus. Maybe we say to Jesus, you can do this, Jesus, but you can't do that. Or you can be this to me, Jesus, but you can't be that. You can be this thing in my mind, Jesus, that I've created of your persona or your abilities or whatever, but you can't be that. Maybe sometimes we dictate to Jesus the terms of our relationship. Or maybe Peter is just being overexcited. This is a guy who in a couple of uh, chapters time lops a guy's ear off. He just, shoom, sword out his pocket, or out his pocket, out of, a, <laughs> out of a sheath probably, lops a guy's ear off. Like, Peter is a guy who is passionate, is enthusiastic, and he jumps in feet first. And maybe he just said something without thinking first. Maybe we can relate to that as well. But either way, Jesus turns this into a teaching moment. We read in verse 10, Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. What does this mean? What is Jesus actually saying here? Jesus is explaining to us here the importance of keeping a short account with God. When we're saved, when we accept Jesus' sacrifice for us, we have a bath, as it were, as Jesus is using Jesus' terminology. We are washed completely clean. We're washed completely clean. But we're still living in the world, aren't we? We're still walking in our sandals through dusty streets. We're still picking up stuff that makes us no longer clean. We sin when we don't want to. We experience the consequences of that. We experience the consequences of living in a broken and fallen world. We experience the consequences of other people's sin and the dirt of that that sticks to us and makes us unclean. And Jesus is saying, you are clean. You are clean because I have washed you, but you need to keep coming back to me so that I can wash your feet, so that I can remove the debris of what it is to be walking through this world. And it's important that we do that regularly, that we keep these short accounts with God, that we don't let all this stuff get in the way of our relationship with God, that we don't let our feet get so dirty that we're embarrassed to come back to Jesus and ask for him to wash our feet. We have to make sure that we are turning away from the things that make our feet dirty and that we are running towards Jesus. Because Jesus will forgive us. Jesus will forgive us. He will wash our feet and he'll send us back out into the world. Jesus washes us clean. He removes our sin. He removes our shame. He presents us as righteous and blameless before God. You know, what I think is also really interesting is that the mess on the feet of these guys was because of the way that they'd walked. It was because of choices they'd made, I guess, in the routes that they'd taken. It was because of the world that they were walking through. It wasn't Jesus's fault that these guys' feet were covered in dirt. But Jesus takes responsibility for cleaning it up. And it's the same for us. It's not Jesus's fault that we do things that we shouldn't, that we say things and think things that we shouldn't, that we um, 
that we live in a broken world. That's not Jesus' fault. It's not his fault that our feet are dirty, but he takes responsibility for cleaning it up. And then thirdly, love encouraged. Love encouraged. From verse uh, 12 to 17. You know, Jesus is always an example for us. Everything that he does, everything that he says, the way that he is, is an example, he's an example for us of how we should live. And in this act, Jesus is a model for us of how we should show love and devotion and care to others around us. He shows us what it is to be humble and to humble ourselves. And in this passage, he asks the disciples and by extension us to do the same. We read again from verse 12 through to the end of this little passage that we've been looking at. When he'd finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example, and you should do what I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Jesus doesn't leave any ambiguity here, does he, in what he's expecting. He's saying, I have set you an example. You should follow it, and you'll be blessed if you do. And I know I kind of keep alluding to this point, but it's Jesus who sets us this example of humility and service to one another. Jesus, who was there at the foundation of the earth. Jesus, who is God incarnate. Jesus, who is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving. Jesus is the one who sets us an example of what it is to be humble and to love one another and to show devotion to one another and to serve one another. You know, if Jesus, who is God, is not too good to wash the feet of these men that he's been teaching and living with, then not a single one of us is too good to wash the feet of those around us. That's all for now. We pray that you heard something that brought life to you today so that you may go and be the person that God called you to be. God bless you.